This is the Mission Matters Podcast Show, where our goal is to engage, encourage, and equip Christians to live on mission daily. To learn more about the show, visit our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash missionmatters.org or sign up for our newsletter online at missionmatters.org. And now, without further ado, let's listen into today's conversation. Hey, thanks for taking the call today. Yeah, sure. And I'd just like to probably get started by uh, asking you to just kind of explain your role over there at Calvary Chapel Bible College, and we'll just kind of go from there. Sure. Sounds good. Yeah, my role at Calvary Chapel Bible College is I'm the director, and so I get to hire the staff and work with the schedule, choose which classes are going to be taught, who the teachers are, kind of implement the vision for the campus that's set by our president and vice president. Um, But I also am blessed to be able to teach some classes myself, have home groups myself with the students, and uh, be involved in their lives. So it's a big, big kind of range right there from uh, administration for the whole school all the way down to just being involved in different students' lives. Yeah. Very good. So, you know, I'm kind of familiar with Calvary Chapel Bible College in general, but I was wondering, it'd probably be a good idea just to kind of go into the history of the school, um, how you guys got started at the Marietta campus and uh, where you're looking to go into the future. Sure. Yeah, actually, this fall is our 40th anniversary for Calvary Chapel Bible College, so we're really excited about that. We're going to have a a nice celebration, just celebrating what the Lord's done. The Bible College started up at Twin Peaks um, 40 years ago, 1975, and we've had many of our pastors in our movement go through there, and so we have about 1,300 churches in America right now that are called Calvary Chapels, and a good amount of them came to the Bible College at our last pastor's conference, we had everyone raise their hands that they attended the Bible College, and we were really pleased to see how many of them have gone through that. And then, at about the late 90s, uh, Pastor Chuck Smith was able to purchase this property in Marietta. There really wasn't much going on here in Marietta at that time, Uh, just a lot of open land, but there was this resort that had fallen into disarray. There was, uh, I mean, mostly everyone thought it was run by the mob, and it was pretty (laughs) bad off, and... um, And so everyone was really grateful when it came in and became a Christian conference center. And right away, uh, the Bible College came came down here. Students were working on the property. And, you know, 15 years later, it's just a beautiful oasis in this desert down here. We're the only ones in the area pumping out uh, live hot hot streams from the ground. And um, it's a beautiful place to go to school. But the whole property is designed to help people interact with the Lord. So there's all these little nooks and crannies and these kind of hidden seating areas by the hot springs and palm springs and um, and everything around here just to encourage people to get alone and pray and open their Bibles. And it's really been the, the heart of this campus is just to help students to know God and to equip them to serve Him. And so many of our students come here and they just want to be better Christians. Um, and so they come here and get to know the Lord and go back and serve at their church as, as you know, lay servants. Some come here and then go back and become youth leaders, worship leaders, missionaries, church planners, um, Sunday school directors. And some come here and get married right away and leave and don't finish the school because they're, they're thoroughly satisfied now that they've found a good Christian wife or husband. And uh, so it's cool to see all the different ways that, uh, that people come here. Right about now, we're averaging uh, between four and 500 students a semester that are full-time on campus, and about another 100 or so that are coming for once or twice a week classes off campus. And then we've got about 200 uh, distance learning students that are active at a time through our distance learning program. Wow. 
Well, I could say I, you know, I've been on campus firsthand. I actually live in Marietta as well. So, oh, cool. so, so I've actually spent quite a bit of time on campus, and you're right. It is a very unique area, and it, like you said, there's there's uh, fresh water running out of the out of the ground there, and um, I've seen all of like the you have what you have volleyball courts, you have places to hang out, you have tennis courts, you have uh, campus, you have living quarters. It's quite a quite an interesting place. Yeah, it's beautiful. I now, came from New Jersey, so it's twice as beautiful for me. Oh yeah, absolutely. You gotta <laughs> love the contrast, huh? Yeah. So, so you guys have this great place there, and and you've been uh, you've been doing it for quite a while. Um, what's what's the future looking like? I know you just mentioned the um, online classes, and I think that's a fairly new phenomenon. What what's that looking like? Is that kind of are you guys focusing on uh, trying to grow that way, or are there some other some other things coming up? Yeah, that's one of them. Right now, we are a student is able to complete the entire two-year degree online with video classes. So right now, we're updating all of our classes. Some of them are audio only. Some of them are video. Most of them are video, and then we're starting to update all of them to be HD video as well. And so, yeah, we keep exploring different ideas. This year, we had a preview week. We've always had a preview night where people can come and visit the campus and do a tour and sit in a chapel. But this year, we upgraded all of our technology, and we were able to live broadcast every single class that we offer for a week. So people could actually look at a schedule of classes, pick the 20, 25 credits that they would normally sign up for, and then if they had the time, they could tune in all week long and kind of pretend to be a Bible college student for an entire week. And then we archived all of those classes online so that every year there's this kind of preview week page where people can go and see what a normal week at Bible college would look like. So we've got virtual tour footage that uses like aerial drone uh, video footage over the campus um, and all kinds of stuff to give people a real good feel of what the campus is like. So that's that's one thing. We, um, we really started doing more of an emphasis on uh, placing the students into internships and jobs. So we created this internship placement program where we're out there contacting all the different churches and parachurch ministries and asking them if they have internship opportunities or full-time job opportunities. Missionary opportunities kind of happened by accident as people found out about this. But all of our students that are in their fourth semester here, so they're just about to graduate, get a username and password where they can log on and apply for all these jobs. So it's kind of an incentive for our students to stick around and, and try and graduate. But there's always, um, you know, 30-plus different active people that are searching for Bible college graduates for jobs. Yeah. So that's been a neat, a neat thing to see how our students are ending up all over the all the world, really, based on that. Well, you know, you mentioned there that um, some of them are able to go into the, the mission field. I was wondering if you could maybe speak to a little bit of how Calvary Chapel uh, Bible College um, – I don't know if teaching missions is the right way to put it, but how do you, um, what does the conversation look like with uh, Christianity being a missional movement um, amongst the students there? Is that is that something that's really ingrained? Yeah, I think it is. It is stressed besides just being a buzzword, you know, the past few years. Um, we, have a, we have a missions class that we make required for our students. Um, it's not normally required at most schools, but that's a big part of the vision of our president, Pastor Brian Broderson. And so we have um, one of our staff members is Pastor Mark Nigro, and he just came off the field. Um, he was a missions pastor at Calvary Chapel Old Bridge in New Jersey uh, over a decade ago, and then he went to Italy to come alongside a church plant that led to him doing a Bible study a bit south of there. And then he planted a church, and the church is doing great. And um, 
and he turned it over to somebody else about two years ago, and the church is continuing to grow and, and do well. And he just brought some of our students back to that church plant that he did so they could see the work that was going on there. And so he teaches our missions class. And so you've got somebody that was a missions pastor, but then went and planted a church on the missions field, knows about all the different difficulties that come along with that. And, and he's leading students on mission trips, along with imparting to them a vision of the theology of missions, as well as practically how they can go about pursuing missions. Very cool. So that's just what he does, but we also have it as a requirement to graduate from us. You have to either do a full-day outreach uh, on your own or be a part of a missions trip sometime during your two years at the college. So every semester we arrange trips the students can sign up with, with us and go, a lot of international trips, some, you know, some domestic outreaches. And um, so that's neat that that's a requirement for them to actually graduate is to be on some kind of a short-term missions trip. So this past spring, we had uh, students in Haiti, Italy, uh, Canada, Mexico, and, and all over the place you know, fulfilling that requirement. They love it. Well, you know, I just had the opportunity, actually, to work. I, I flew to Vienna and worked with the Calvary Chapel in Vienna. So you got Shay and, and uh, Ken out there operating that, and they're both Americans. Um, right. And, you know, getting to talk to both of them, it, I really started to realize, and, I, you know, I've spent time around Calvary Chapel, um, but I really started to realize that, man, this Calvary Chapel movement is something unique in church history. And it, it appears to be a very uh, church planting based um, phenomena. I was wondering if maybe you could talk a little bit about the Calvary Chapel history and just, you know, kind of the DNA that's causing it to expand. I know, I know it's Holy Spirit led, um, but you guys are purposely doing some things from a church planting level. Would you like to talk about that at all? Sure. Yeah, Pastor Chuck Smith, who went to go be with the Lord um, about a year or two ago now, yeah. he um, he came from a four-square denomination, and it was a small church, and it was in Southern California, and he was you know doing doing a great job as a pastor, but just kind of felt like he wasn't this breakthrough, and at some point he decided to start teaching through the Bible verse by verse. Um, throughout the whole Bible, and that's not necessarily an original idea, but it's an idea we think the Lord blesses. You know, J. Varner McGee's been doing that for yeah. a long time when he was around, but the Lord began to bless, and Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa just began to blow up, and they had to even move out of their sanctuary right away and put a tent up just to be able to support what the Lord was doing, and one of the main things I think that the Lord used that early church to do was to reach out to the hippies that were feeling neglected they were, you know, dirty, and um, they weren't going to come to the church wearing a suit or anything, and there's some kind of famous stories, at least in our movement, of maybe an usher saying, oh, you can't let them in here, their feet are all dirty, they're going to ruin the carpets, and Pastor Chuck would say, well, then we'll rip out the carpets, you know, or we'll put new carpets in, or something like that, and him and his wife had a real burden for those that were being neglected, and so they, they started feeling love and they coming into the church and he took a risk on them and allowed them to be a part of the worship scene that was at the church and then they just began to invite their friends and this this movement began to be birthed. At first it was all in Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa and then a few local churches and then it wasn't it wasn't strategic um, at all. It was really organic in that that the Lord began to call pastors and people had a desire to teach and there was needs and people would call in to the Costa Mesa and say, hey, we'd love a church like yours out here. And it just began to happen. And I don't think Calvert Chapels knew um, how much other people were watching uh, in, until much 
later on and seeing how successful the church planning movement they were becoming just because it was happening so naturally. It was just something, you know, when I was a, a youth pastor at Calvary Chapel Old Bridge in New Jersey, our motto was kind of win, build, and send. And so you wanted people to hear the gospel, get built up in their faith, and then, well, are you going to go out? Whether that's missions or a church plant or just reaching your, your neighborhood, it should be a sending process at some point. And so that's that's been going on, and the Lord blessed it. And you know, they they called it the you know the Jesus People Movement, and it's yeah, it does seem like the Lord was really behind it. And, and now that there's about 1,500 churches worldwide, and uh, now there is you know this Calvary Chapel church planning network that's kind of equipping the you know the younger generation and those that feel a heart to go out there and and plant a church. We actually have one of the founders of the Calvary Chapel Church Planning Network uh, is only about 45 minutes away from us, and so he teaches our church planning class here at the Bible College that we offer once a year. And there's more church planning conferences now that we're, we're doing, and because it happened so naturally in our movement, there was even a bit of not backlash, but some people weren't necessarily bought in, I think, to the idea of, well, now why do we have a church planning network now and conferences yeah. when it all happens so naturally? But it's just kind of convincing people that this is just equipping equipping people, giving them resources, and kind of helping them from the mistakes that other people who have already gone before them have made to not be able to make some of those rookie mistakes as they're out there planning a church. And so we're really excited about it. And our president of our Bible college is on the board of the Calvary Chapel Church Planning Network. And so we're, we're excited they're so close and they can be a part of the Bible college as well. Very good. Now, Andy, you started to mention a little bit um, that you were a youth pastor um, back in Jersey. Um, wondering, maybe we can transition over to you. Uh, you know, we like to talk to people about how um, God you know got them in the position that they're at. I'd, I'd like to maybe you tell your story about... Um, where you met met God, or um, and then how did He kind of uh, grow you up into the position you are at now? Sure. Yeah, I was blessed to grow up in a in a born again Christian home. I remember praying a prayer nice and early to give my life to the Lord. But I don't, you know, looking back, I didn't see myself getting serious with the Lord until college. And so, to be honest, I don't know <laughs> if. Um, I was a backslidden Christian for many years of my life until the middle of college, or if when, when I got serious with the Lord in college, is that when the Lord allowed me to become born again? I don't know which conviction I was feeling in my heart during those years, but yeah. when I went to college, uh, I thought I was a good Christian, but I had a workspace mentality. I was, I was the only guy at my high school not drinking and chasing after girls, and so I'm the Christian. But then 45 minutes after I got to New York University, I was there on a basketball scholarship. Okay. Um, 45 minutes later, uh, I, someone hands me a fake ID, and I, wa I just walk into that lifestyle of partying in New York City, and it was miserable for about a year and a half, two years, just uh, eventually stopped going to church, stopped praying, because I you know, turned my back on the Lord, but he never left me, and so in my case, what happened was on September 11, 2001, I was living five blocks away from the Twin Towers, and uh, I got over to the, the scene there after both planes had already hit the towers. And I actually was snuck past the police line uh, just to get closer, and 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 then the towers fell, and they were only a few hundred feet away from me, and I had to wow. run, and it was just terrifying. I thought I was going to die. The smoke consumed me. I had to hide in a little shop there on, on John Street, and then I started choking to death, and we all did. There was 15 of us in there, and I realized the smoke's not going anywhere. One of the tallest buildings in the world just fell down, and... Um, and I just got right with the Lord, and I prayed, and I, I repented of my sins, and I, I re recited the gospel to myself and the truths, mm -hmm. and, I, and I finally 
began to talk to God again, and it's as if he was waiting. The moment I said, you know, well, Lord, is there anything you can do to, you know, use me to help these people? He just gave me a vision in my mind of a, the building across the street having oxygen. Now, I'd seen that building earlier, and I knew that they, I saw the, the security guard locking these glass doors. So I knew that there wouldn't be smoke in there, and I grew up Baptist. We don't have visions, so you don't have to worry about that. Uh, I haven't had one since, but it was just a clear picture in my mind. That was right at the time I was praying. Uh, so I walked across the street, couldn't even see my hand in front of my face, but the Lord guided me right to this building. And um, there's two ladies there banging on the doors, and I kicked the kicked the glass in, let them in, took a breath, went back, found the people, and we walked across the street. And Whoa. and uh, um, you know, it was just a, that's a whole different story. I understand, can't go down that road too far. But um, the Lord the Lord saved my life, even from the second building. I stayed around to help the firefighters out, and we had to run from the second building. And um, it was just a wild day. I couldn't couldn't imagine why would the Lord save me multiple times in one day from falling buildings, from choking to death, when I had just been out partying the night before, yeah. even though I knew the gospel. And it's just His His mercy on me, and that that you know His kindness caused me to repent is what happened. And so I began to get right with the Lord, and then that's when I began to meet the leadership of the church at Calvary Old Bridge. Was when they came up to do ministry in New York City. All of a sudden, Pastor Lloyd Poley had a crowd of 500 people sitting in, in Union Square in Manhattan, and he says to them, without warning me, I'm going to invite my friend Andy up here to tell you what happened to him. And I walk up to him, and I'm like, I can't, I can't do that. I actually can't, I can't do that. I just failed a speech class at New York University. I threw my note cards in the air in this class and said, I can't do it, and walked out and never came back. I was like, I can't do it. And he said, do it. <laughs> and so I, I started speaking, and then all of a sudden I just felt the presence of the Holy Spirit, you know, come upon me. I just felt like a warmth almost, and, and all the nerves, the shaking of my knees, the mild dyslexia, the stuttering, the mumbling, all that disappeared, and I preached my first sermon ever on the power of prayer, and, um, and that was how I met the leadership of the church, and so when I graduated from New York University, I called them and said, it's kind of funny, I called and said, should I go to Calvary Chapel Bible College in Murrieta, California, and get trained up for ministry? Um, that's what I was asking, and they said, well, what if we open a position up here for you? And I, I didn't know how they you know, saw calling on my life before I did, but I, I took that job, and they trained me in, in pastoral ministry at the church, and eventually I transitioned into the youth pastor role there, and I, I was grateful to serve there for eight years. During that time, you know, I met my wife, Shannon, here on the property at the Bible College. Interestingly enough, we were at a youth, we were at a youth workers' conference here, but both of us never attended the school. And then... Um, I'm teaching my youth group how to study the Bible, and I feel like I failed at it. And I just I can't believe I failed at teaching them. I was trying to teach them the inductive Bible study method, yeah. and it was way over their heads for junior high students. Uh -huh. And that just set me on this path of researching what's the best way to study the Bible. And it was a two-year search that turned into a book, and I wrote a book called Learn to Study the Bible, and it, it shares 40 different Bible study methods that people can use just to study the Scriptures. And then that book I sent to Pastor Brian Broderson, who I met on September 11th in New York City. I said, hey, would you give me a review for this book? You know, I, need, I don't know anyone. I need some endorsements. Yeah. And I guess he read it because a few months later he called me up and said, hey, what would you think about coming out to the Bible college and teaching the inductive Bible study class but making it a bit more like your book? And I said, well, I'd love to do that. And that's when I met the current director, Pastor Dave Shirley, and uh, our relationship started, and then uh, he would fly me out there for a two-week intensive course once or twice a year, and uh, we got to know each other, and then I was shocked one day when he called me up and asked me if I'd like to become the next director.
And so we moved out here about, it'll be three years this August that we, my wife and I moved out here from New Jersey. Andy, that is an amazing story. I had chills, <laughs> I had chills like seven times during that story. I don't even know what to say. So, man, yeah, God, the Lord is good. God is sovereign and he is good. Yeah, he is. Amen. Yeah, that's not that's not an equation anyone can try to go reproduce. So, um, and no, I, you can't. And I, and I felt unworthy for each step of that journey. Each yeah. step, my heart kind of stopped when they said, "Would you work at the church? Would you come teach a class? Would you be the director?" Especially when I said, "Would you be my wife?" <laughs> my yeah. wife but all all those moments, it's just God's goodness and Him, you know, Him doing it and His grace. Because I could never be qualified for any of those positions. Yeah. Well, maybe we can jump off of that and start talking about people who maybe are in a position where they're thinking that they would actually like to do all of those types of things, and they just can't figure out how to get their foot in the door. And maybe that's not even the right way to look at it. What would be your suggestion to someone who has this feeling of um, God calling them into ministry, but but they're just they're not finding their way into it, or they feel frustrated, or they're they're working some secular job, or you know whatever. Not that that's bad, um, but what would be your suggestion to someone who just has this feeling, but there's no real open doors? Sure. Yeah. Well, that's, there's probably two ways to answer that question. Um, in most movements, most denominations they really do require some seminary training to even have the door open a little bit. And so I just I just graduated from Veritas Evangelical Seminary with my master's just a, a few weeks ago. Um, but that wasn't a requirement in our movement to get started. You know, they, they may, in, in our Calvary Chapel movement, uh, see a calling on your life and recognize that calling through an ordination, and there's hands-on training that's happening, conferences and, and different things like that. And I think once most people... Uh, are ordained within our movement, they feel this sense of responsibility and they either hit the books or hit the seminary or something um, to continue to equip themselves and, and uh, at least get in the scriptures a ton to, to be able to do that. So, But people ask all the time, how do I become a pastor? Uh, how, do I, how do I do this or that? And yeah, and unfortunately, it doesn't seem like there's a one-stock answer for that. The one thing I can say is you have to avoid ambition. Um, there's a godly ambition, right? It's, it's a noble desire to want to do that. But what I mean by that is I get a phone call once every few weeks of people offering me their services and saying, like, hey, just so you know, I'm available if you ever need a teacher or anything like that. And, and there's some times where those conversations feel very natural, and you can tell it's led by the Lord. And there's other times where it just feels like uh, a work of the flesh. Yeah. yeah. The way the Lord's always worked with me is where I, I just try and faithfully grow in my personal walk of holiness with, with Him, and then doors open and I walk through them, but I'm never looking to see what's next, what's next, or what, what could I do next. I'm just trying to be faithful in the little things, and then the Lord seems to prepare us for, for greater things. So the one thing I would recommend is to put yourself around people that are in ministry that you want to be a part of. And then to be humble, to to just come along for the ride, even if it doesn't involve uh, payment, it doesn't involve a stipend, an official internship. You just relationally uh, connect with those people that are doing ministry that you would love to do. And then that seems to build the confidence in those people, as long as it's not they can tell when someone's trying to be strategic and work them. Yeah. But if it really is, you just want to wanna be involved in ministry, and that may involve your time being inf- inconvenienced and you're not getting paid or things like that then that's where a lot of trust can be built. And then all of a sudden that person who has a bit more connections hears of an opportunity and they may be more likely to recommend you or to bring you along. And we have an internship program here, not just placing students across the country, but we, we take on our own personal interns here. We have about 12 interns 
uh, a semester that we have that live with us on property. We take them on retreats and to conferences and pour into them weekly in the scriptures and read books with them. And, um, you know, we're looking for people that just, that we think the Lord may be calling to do ministry elsewhere. It's just a final preparation before that after Bible college. Very good. Now, just to kind of transition back to the, the school side of things, um, what what would you say the demographics like it is does it vary from online versus on campus and those types of things yeah it does so uh, if we have 500 students on campus then i would say 400 of them are right out of high school or just one or two two and a half years out of high school okay so i i didn't necessarily miss youth ministry too much when i came here i just felt like they had all graduated with me and come along for the ride yeah. but um and then we've got students that are in their mid-20s that bring a bit more maturity uh, to the game. And, but we do have some students that come here in their late 40s and 50s, and we try and put them, uh, we talk with them to make sure they understand that the majority of our students are younger and the dorm life is going to be very different. And uh, some of them want to do it. There's you know five to eight students or so that fit in that age range. If we have enough, we'll try and put them all together you know, for their sakes. But um if they're ready to not try and make all the other students not have a good time and, and yeah. change change for them, then we you know we allow it on a case by case uh, scenario. And sometimes it's really good to have that kind of maturity in there. And sometimes they can't handle it. And so when they can't handle it, we recommend that they're either an off campus student coming a few times a week, but or coming full time but living off campus, uh-huh. or our distance learning program is usually for students across the country, although 50% of our demographics of on-campus students are from outside of California. Oh, wow. And about 30 every semester are international students because we can grant a visa um, to international students. We have about 15 to 20 Canadians and then students from all over Europe and, and Asia that come, and that's real special, too. We kind of treat them in a special way because we sit down with them and say, do you realize how hard... Americans work to get where your backyard is. Like yeah. you need to see that as a mission field uh, and go back as as missionaries. We really try and equip them to do that. That's great. Now, for people who want to uh, learn more, get more information, what would be the best way to do that? Yeah, our website is you know jam packed full of videos and and all kinds of information. So that's uh, it's CalvaryChapelBibleCollege.com, but we have a shorter link is CCBC.info. We'll take you right there. So CCBC.info um, is where most people go, and there's promotional videos. There's a, a video called A Day in the Life of, which is a day in the life of a Bible college student. Um, kind of tracks them through an entire day. Uh, we've got chapels, you know, chapel videos on there. If they go to iTunes University and search for Calvary Chapel Bible College, we have three free classes that are available, video classes on iTunes University. We're finding some school of ministries are just kind of using those classes as a part of their curriculum even. One of the classes I teach, Bible Study Methods, is on there, although it's an older class, so don't judge me. I would, I'm going to change it this <laughs> fall. But <laughs> it was a block class. It was pretty intense, the weekly class now. So those are probably the best places to go. We're on all the social media platforms, and we're pretty active on those as well. Very good. Now, you had mentioned the book that you wrote. Um, could you could you repeat that one again? Yeah, so the book I wrote in uh, 2009, it's called Learn to Study the Bible. Um, so if you go on any book website, you can you can buy a copy of that, uh, whether that's a print copy or an e-book copy. It should be available on every single site that you would go to. You're probably not going to find it in a bookstore. Uh, they can order it for you, but on all the sites like Amazon, Barnes & Noble, the ChristianBook.com sites, and things like that, you should be able to get it in any any variety. 
And yeah, the Lord's blessed it. I mean, not only did it give me a job, but the Lord's been using it, just encouraging to get feedback about it. But it's been five years, but it's you know sold a, a little over 10,000 copies. Wow. And so it's been neat to see the Lord kind of scratching an itch that, that people have. Because it's just a simple book. I mean, there's handwritten examples for each of the 40 methods to make you feel like you can just grab a napkin and start doing a Bible study right away. Oh, cool. Very neat. Now, now is the uh, the school is it completely uh, self sustainable via tuition, or is there donations that are needed? How does that work? Yeah, that's that's one of the interesting things about our school is that we have we think we've got really low tuition. I mean, there's times where I'm tempted to say that we're the most affordable, the most affordable Christian college in America. Um, uh, so it's thirty five hundred dollars a semester, but that includes tuition, housing, food, textbooks, and a copy of Logos Bible Study software. Uh-huh. So you know you can you can get a slightly discounted rate if you go to a community college, but you're not living and eating there and getting yeah, your textbooks it, included in that or anything. It costs more than that just to live. It seems like and you're exactly doing all of it for everyone. That's great. Oh, right? we've got we've got study abroad programs for the same exact price. We have students that can go to Israel for about thirty for thirty five hundred dollars plus a plane ticket, and all of their food is covered. And you live in the old city of Jerusalem for three months. We've got a campus in Costa Rica, Cape Town, Malta. Um, and that's just to name a few. We've got a, a dozen plus more campuses around the world. So a lot of our students come here for three semesters and take one semester and, and travel abroad uh, for a real similar feel at one of our Bible college sites elsewhere. What an amazing opportunity, man. And was would you say that the, uh, the uh, educational movement was uh, a forethought of Pastor Chuck Smith as well? Yeah, it was. Um, we've chosen to remain unaccredited uh, for the purpose of having freedom to, you know, uh, just do all sorts of things. We've got some pastors in our movement that pastor megachurches, uh, some of the top 100 largest churches in America, and but they might not have a master's degree, and we'd like them to come and teach a class. And so we've we've chosen to, you know, remain unaccredited for that. So what we do is we work on credit transfer agreements, and we've got seminaries like Golden Gate Baptist Seminary that will accept our degree without probation into their seminary program. Veritas Evangelical Seminary would do the same, and we've got students that are transferring all over the place. So we work hard on our credit transfer agreements. We keep our standards academically up as if we were accredited so that a lot of schools do accept our credits. Um, but yeah, it was his heart. I would say his heart was to disciple the next generation, and a Bible college seemed to be a good setting to do that. School of Ministries are good settings to do that. There's all kinds of ways to do that. But yeah, we've got quite a legacy, and we're excited to kind of express that in our 40-year anniversary. Wow. Well, Andy, to wrap things up, uh, I've I've really enjoyed the conversation, and uh, I would just be interested on on how our listeners maybe could be praying for for you and for the college there. Yeah, thank you, thank you for saying that. Um, we we just want students to come here and experience the Lord and whatever that whatever that means for them. And so we got we try and guide them through that process. We tell them the worst thing that could happen at Bible college is if you come here and learn a lot about Jesus, but you lose your devotional life, you lose your prayer life. And so we try and stress their personal relationship with the Lord uh, to be the most important thing that happens here. And so if you could just pray for them that they would catch that vision, that they would see that as as the main goal, as their relationship with the Lord, you don't want to ever breed, um, you know, academic snobs <laughs> from a Christian organization, right? There's a there's a great it's a great resource to study the Bible in a, in a deeper way. But if they have a shallow prayer life, if they're, if they're not nice, if they're not loving people, then none of that matters. And so 
we um, we know most students come here for the right reasons, and it's a blessing for us to, to see that. But yeah, if you could just pray that the Lord would continue to keep our staff focused on Him, and that we would just uh, be able to always provide for what the students need, that'd be awesome. One thing I do want to mention, just because of the, the style of your show for Mission Matters, is um, you know this last semester we gave each of the dorm rooms $100 that they didn't have to return. They had to use it to create a micro-outreach just for the six students in their dorm room. They had the freedom to share the gospel any way they wanted in Southern California one week in May. And so we had uh, 72 dorm rooms that each just got $100, and it was so exciting to see the different ways that they reached out to the community. And uh, some of them joined up, and so a bunch of dorms would join together, join their resources, and kind of create a bigger outreach. Some of them were just doing these individual things. But we saw so many divine appointments that we got so excited about it that we decided to create a website uh, called the Talents Challenge because this idea came from the parable of the talents, that God has given us resources that we are to use to expand his kingdom. And so in this case, we gave the students the resources, hoping they'd catch the vision and use their own resources the next time. But we had so many cool testimonials, and so we just created a website, talentschallenge.com, that churches, youth groups, home groups, families can go and learn how to create a $100 funded micro-outreach just for their community and their needs. There's a ton of ideas on the website, testimonials, and uh, we're, we're seeing a lot of people outside of the Bible College kind of take the Talents Challenge and put some money behind a little outreach in their own areas. And it's been so cool just to see the gospel go out in really unique ways. So I just wanted to share that. No, that's a great idea. Actually, did you have one of those testimonies that kind of stood out in your mind that you'd like to share? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, there's there's so many of them. Our students were were ministering uh, alongside sex trafficking ministries right to the women directly that were on the streets waiting for men to pick them up. And we had protection there and security with them. I mean, it was very bold what they were doing. And uh, the Lord did a lot of neat things. But, man, I would say one of them that was especially neat was it was an old town Temecula right around here. Uh And one of our students went out and met a, a man named Andre, and he never goes to that area, um, but he felt like he was a backslidden Christian, and he felt like God was telling him to kind of go to that area. And our students met with him, bought him some pasta, and they were using their money for kind of reaching out to individuals and shared with him. And he just felt like it was such a divine appointment, and he felt like he fully and clearly understood the gospel uh, at that moment. And he, he actually wanted to change his name to Andrew because it was more biblical. <laughs> and um, he, at the end of the day, like, can we pray for you, Andre? And he's like, call me Andrew because I feel like I'm a, a child that has come <laughs> home to God. And they were just blown away. The guy immediately takes, they gave him the leftover money. He takes the leftover money and goes across the street and starts giving it out to homeless people um, and sharing his faith with them and praying with them. He started uh, sharing his faith with some of our students. He didn't know where our students that were across the street. It was mind-blowing. And there was a lot of I would say divine appointments where you just kind of hear the story and you say the Holy Spirit is alive and well. Like you can't fake this stuff. Yeah. I mean, there was uh, some some neat things that happened, and all those testimonies are on the website talentschallenge.com. Skate park outreaches, homeless uh, outreaches, hospital outreaches, all kinds of neat stuff. It was cool to see what God did and what the students came up with. So we're going to do that every spring here at the school just because it was such a fun, unifying, had a unifying effect on the campus. That's cool. I'm going to have to try to, I, I watch you guys on Twitter, so I'm sure you guys will be sharing about that socially, and I'll, I'll uh, make sure I'm paying attention at that time. Cool. All right, Andy, well, can I close this out in prayer? 
Yes, please. All right, Lord, we come before you, God, and I just really appreciate this time. Thanks for uh, having Andy come on and speak with us. And, Lord, we want to lift up the uh, Calvary Chapel Marietta campus, ask that you would just be with each one of those students and meet them right where they need to be met. We pray, God, that you would allow them to have that servant's heart and uh, the love for one another um, that just shows people, you know, how powerful you are and how real you are. So as they uh, jam all of that knowledge into their brains, Lord, we pray they don't forget to uh, that the, the main thing is is to uh, love people the way that you loved us. And uh, Lord, just want to pray for Andy. Ask that you uh, protect him and his family and give them the strength to uh, continue on and to continue to make uh, great changes that will lead to the um, you know the sustainability of that that campus. We just thank you for the Calvary Chapel movement. Um, big fan of Chuck Smith. He was just a great guy. We thank you that you you gave him gave him to us for as long as you did, and uh, just look forward to what you're doing uh, through the Calvary Chapel movement. We pray this in your name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. We pray you've been engaged, encouraged, and equipped to more fully live out God's mission plan for your life. Don't forget to follow and share us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash missionmatters.org and sign up for our newsletter at missionmatters.org. Until next time, may you live passionately on mission for the glory of God.